come here today celebrating resurrection, right? That, that he is alive, he's not dead, he's, in the, he's, he's not in the tomb. And we, we come to, to verse, it's actually, it, it, we're told out of the Gospels that it's, it's early in the morning, right? Super, super early in the morning. And Mary, two, two Marys, Mary Magdalene and another Mary and Salome are at the tomb going to, to probably do the burial process, right? Since Josephus and Nicodemus probably did it wrong. You know how ladies sometimes figure that out, right? But they're there early to, to anoint Jesus' body. And it says in Matthew 28, um, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. And so they went, and then a little bit further down, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. It's like he's, literally that word's like, oh, hey, hello. <laughs> it's like these, these women are, are running from the tomb. They've experienced this angel speaking to them. They're running to go tell the disciples that Jesus is not in the tomb. And he's like, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? You know, what's up? Fooled you. Like, whatever. I don't know. It's just it's such a casual response, right? But he says, hello. And they do the rightful thing. They, they came up and took his, hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will be, they will see me. So it's this moment of immense joy and hope and peace and life, and you can't help but see yourself feeling kind of pulled towards it and desiring more. And so we come to a Sunday like this on Easter where we come to celebrate and spend time together and to, to, to worship God, but yet, if we're honest, I know that all of us in some way or another still go, yeah, but... But why, why am I still hurting? Or why, why is there, like, why on such a, a celebratory day do we still feel the burden and the weight of the brokenness in this world? Why, why is, it, is it still there? What ends up happening is, is that if we're not careful, a lot of us experience this pain and this, this, this destruction and this brokenness, and, and we don't know what to do with it. And I've been challenging you since the beginning we started two months ago on, on this whole building up to Resurrection Sunday. I've been challenging you to pay attention to the characters that are told in this history and the narrative. The characters, every individual has a purpose and they're there for a reason. And, and I've challenged you to, to honestly ask your heart, ask, your, ask yourself if you, if you can relate to any of these characters. If you can see any of these, any of these individuals in the story and say, man, that, that, that's a lot like me. Or, man, I, I see a lot of myself in that person. And realistically, what we, what we decided to do today is that we're going to look at two individuals in the story that all of you, if you've spent any time around the church, you know about these individuals. Two people that, that I believe that we can, we can see what we are to do with the guilt, what we are to do with the shame, and what we are to do with the pain in this world. Two individuals that make it really clear for us on how to move forward. And so if you, if you just let me for a second, we'll get into the Gospel of John, so you can turn to John 21 if you want. We'll read there in a second, but I'm going to read out of Matthew first. I want to read of a couple people, and my bet is, is of, of these two individuals, every single one of us can in one way or at one point in our life relate to both of them, and some of us, unfortunately, we relate to them today. We feel, we feel this today, but either way, every single one of us at one point in our life has been able to relate to these people. First one is Matthew 26. Uh, 69. Peter, it, Jesus had just been arrested. Peter cut the sword off of one of the, the guards. Jesus is like, none of this. Heals the guy. And they make their way from Garden of Gethsemane over to, to Caiaphas' house in the courtyard. Well, we find out from the Gospel of John that someone lets Peter kind of into the courtyard. So he follows Jesus all the way to the courtyard where Jesus is going to be tried by the Sanhedrin inside of Caiaphas' house. And so he's in the house getting tried, and, and it picks up in, in, in verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also are with Jesus the Galilean. 
But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not with this person. So he denies Jesus. And then it goes on and says, he went out uh, to the entrance just a little bit further away, and another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystander, this man was with Jesus in Nazareth. And again, he denied it, but with an oath, I do not know the man. So Peter escalates his frustration in this moment and tells this girl, like, with an oath, which literally is to, to mean to, to bring God's name into it. Okay, so you're bringing God's name into, into the scripture, in, into your oath, and saying, by God's name, I don't know Jesus. An utter betrayal. And then he goes on. And then after a little while, we learn from the other gospel, about an hour, um, while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Peter was Galilean, and, and people in Jerusalem held a higher regard to their accent, and they thought they were more reformed and more educated. Um, the Galilean would kind of be like a hick kind of accent to them in that regard. And so they looked down on them. So they're saying, your, your, your accent's Galilean. Surely you're with him. And we also know that this person that's confronting him was one of the guards during the arrest, the brother of the one that Peter cut his ear off. And Peter, certainly you two are one of them. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. To invoke a curse, what that literally means is Peter is saying, I am telling the truth. If I'm not, as God is my witness, all of his wrath and vengeance is due on me if I'm lying. So Peter denies Jesus to that standard. He says that, he says that I'm telling the truth. But just in case I'm not telling the truth, then all of the judgment of the lie is on me, and I deserve it. He denies him that way. And we learn from the Gospel of Luke that it's at that very moment, the third time he denied, that Peter looks up and can see, um, can see Jesus, at this point probably being beaten a little bit in the, in the trial, and they make eye contact. And at the very instant as well, we know that a, a rooster crows. And it's in that moment that Peter remembers what Jesus said before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he left away, wept bitterly. So Peter's our first one, denying Christ. Three very intentionally harsh ways. Second character is Matthew 26, 14. It says, then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot. So this is, again, Peter and Judas were both one of the 12 disciples that had been with Jesus for three years at this point. Every single day, every single hour, working with him. One of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. So here's Judas before they even had the Last Supper. This, this is right after he kind of came into the town and we were singing, everyone was saying Hosanna. It's at this point that Judas betrays Jesus. So which one is worse? We have Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. Well, Jesus tells us at the Last Supper that the one that betrays him is better that that person had not been born than to have been born and done what he's done. So it's obvious that Jesus says that that is worse, but I believe that what Peter did was worse. Now hear me out on this. Judas is, is gonna, he's, he's full of greed. We know that he was greed, and, and we also know that like he probably didn't think that Jesus would be condemned, because we'll pick that up in a second here. But he didn't think that, Ju that Jesus would be condemned, because he, he actually finds out once he's condemned, he has remorse. Peter denies actually knowing Jesus. What's so unique about Peter's denial is just a few hours before, I mean, just three short hours before that, he was essentially standing there going, although all these disciples over here may fall away, Jesus, I won't. I won't be scattered. I, I mean, even if I have to die, he's arguing with the Messiah that he would never deny Christ. 
Yet he invokes a curse on himself saying, if I'm lying, then I deserve the wrath of God. What gets a person to that spot? But see, if we're all really honest with ourselves, we've all either denied or betrayed Christ in our lives, probably some of us even last week. But I want to read two more sets of scripture and then we'll jump into John. Matthew 27, 3, 5. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, this is just after the trial at Caiaphas' house, saw that he was condemned to death, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And then throwing down the silver pieces into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Judas, think about it this way, was the only person in Jerusalem at that time that didn't get to hear a single murmur about the resurrection of Christ. Didn't he? he was the only one that ended his life prior to the crucifixion, prior to resurrection. He didn't get to see any of that. It ended in death, hopelessness. Now let's read this verse. This is Peter speaking. We know that, that from Acts 1, 3, that Jesus spent about 40 days on earth after resurrection. I wish we had more information of what he was doing there and what he was saying, but we know he's about 40 days after resurrection on earth. Right after that, so like right in the, you know, 39-ish, 41 days, like 42, right around that time, Peter is, is, in, is, is about to preach the message of all messages, okay? He's, he, he stands up. It says, with confidence, Peter stands up, okay? With confidence. Men of Israel, hear these words. This is Acts 2, 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the def- definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him. He just stands up with this kind of confidence, like what is this, right? You, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We, we find out just a few verses down that 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ after this message. Two utterly horrible things, a betrayal and a denial. Two drastically different outcomes. I've been saying this since the beginning of the series. You cannot approach the cross of Christ and have any kind of understanding or, or any kind of inkling about what it means without seeing one of two options. You either follow it with your life or you run from it in darkness. There is no middle ground. So what happened to these two people? What did they, what, the different, what can we today, some, a couple thousand years later, learn from Judas and Peter? What can we understand about what happened? Well, let me, let me say it this way. First off, all of us have betrayed Christ or denied him in some way or another, either early in our life or we continue to do it by the choices we make or by the things we don't say. We deny him all, day, all the time with, with our friends, with our money, with our lives. We deny him all the time. Well, what do we do with that? Judas chose religion. You think about it, it's unique. He went to the religious leaders. These are the, like the cream of the crop of the religious system in this day. And Judas goes back and he, he realizes what he has done is wrong. He says, I have sinned. This is wrong. He turns to a religious institution. What does the religious institution do? What is this to us? I don't deal with it. Could you, I mean, like, this is a spot where, where they're supposed to be leading people to understanding what it means to follow God. And there's a, a confessed sinner and they're going, ah, it's your own deal. Deal with it yourself. Judas chose to self-help. He chose to solve the problem on his own. Judas doesn't go to the disciples. He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't even try and get a conversation with Jesus. He just 
goes and ends his life. Judas chose a religious system. It didn't work. Now, Peter, we don't know. We don't know what happened. So, so this is going to be my conjecture. This is my kind of opinion of what I think happened. And we don't have any writings of what happened from Peter from when he left weeping bitterly, which is a really like, it's an outward like kind of ugly cry. Think of it that way, guys, like a bad, ugly cry, right? He's doing that over and over and over again. And then we, we pick up where the, the women show up to tell the apostles that Jesus isn't in the tomb. So we don't know what happens to Peter from Friday at like 3 a.m. until Sunday. I like to think that he, he spends some really, really hard times crying. And then him and the rest of the disciples gather together in a room. And, and we don't know what happened in that room, but picture a bunch of fear, a bunch of confusion, and a bunch of sadness mixed together with a bunch of dudes that just lost a really, really close friend that's doomed and dead whom you thought was the Messiah, you thought was the king, everything you thought was just gone. I, I believe that they probably fought up in that room. I bet Peter, I don't know if Peter said anything to him. I don't know if Peter came and said, look, guys, I made a huge mistake. I, I totally denied Jesus. Remember when I was like telling him, like, you guys may fall away, but I won't, and Peter told me, or Jesus said this whole thing about the rooster crowing? Totally happened. I'm sure one of them, you know, like, I don't know, John, anyone was like, oh, James, probably James, right? He's like, Pfft. Great. You, Mr. I'll, oh, you may fall away, but you're not. Way to go, Peter. And then Peter probably pipes back. Well, at least I followed him. None of you guys were there. And John Mark's like, dude, I ran away naked, okay? Like, this is weird. Like, this all happened, I swear. Like, so they're all fighting about who did enough. Right? And they're wrestling with this, and they're sad, and they're grieving. They don't necessarily know what to do. And, and, and I believe, I believe that, that the disciples, they're human. And I can't help but think, like, I'm already feeling like, Christ has been wrongfully killed and I'm upset and I'm his disciple, I can't help but think that I'd be a little frustrated at Peter. You did what? I'm a little disappointed in you, Peter. All that to be said, they probably had their words and Peter experienced some form of community in the kind of ugly way, right? And he was still with them. So we know that he was still with them. So it wasn't like they shunned him. I like to believe that they spent enough time around Jesus to understand grace and forgiveness a little bit. They were willing to say, you know what, I wasn't there. And John Mark's like, yeah, I was naked. It's like, you know, it was a mess. Like, we all made our mistakes. All right, well, what are we going to do now? And they're, they're sitting in this spot of, of pain and struggle. But see, here's the thing with Peter. I think Peter's haunted by the guilt of what he did. Because you can know for a fact that when Jesus looked at him and they locked eyes, Jesus didn't look at him and be like, told you so. Like, he wasn't shaming him. Like, Jesus probably just looked at him. And Peter had felt so much guilt and shame for his denial that he pulled back. He followed back, realized his failures and fell short, and he, he, he fell away. So here they are. They're, they're arguing, and they're, they're wrestling. And, and either way, it comes to it. So then we'll pick up our story in John 21. In John, we, we learn that they're in Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee, and, and Peter at some point, like, at this, at this point in John, Jesus has shown himself twice to the disciples. So they've seen him. So Peter and everyone knows, like, he resurrected. That's happened. The whole walking in the locked room, upper room, like, that happened. And they've experienced him. They ate with him. Okay, he's a real person. They touched him. They know he's there. But I really do believe at this point, Peter's so desperate to have a conversation with Jesus. Like, have you ever, have you ever really wronged someone? I mean, like, made a really, really poor mistake? And then you like walk by, you had like, a, they, they acknowledge that you made the mistake, you realize you made the mistake, but you haven't really had the conversation afterwards like, are we okay? You know, I, I, I joked about this in the first service, but if you're married, you've done this where you've like really made a mistake. 
and you're like, oh, that was wrong. I shouldn't do that. And then you kind of come home and you're like, hey, how you doing? You know, like you don't know how you're sitting with the person until you actually have the conversation. So you're kind of walking on eggshells and feeling like maybe, I mean, are we, we're okay, right? Like everything's okay here. And you, you, you need that, that conversation. I think Peter desperately needs that. If you're a kid and you're, you don't, you're not married, like you've done this with your parents, like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. You wait for them to come home. They're like, I can't believe you did that. And then you wait afterwards like, well, okay, now that that's out, can I have some ice cream? Or, you know, like you don't know how you're sitting, right? Like you're just trying to, you're wrestling with that. Like where are we in this setting? Well, Peter does what he knows best. He goes back to fishing. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fish. I'm going to go fish. And 60 other disciples are like, okay, well, let's, let's go with you. We'll go with you. And they fish. These seasoned, experienced fishermen, they catch zero fish on the sea that's full of fish, right? And then <laughs> some individual, they don't necessarily know who it is, some individual from the shore yells, hey, cast your net on the other side. And they cast it on the other side, and it fills up with 153 fish, right, and just, like, buries the boat. And Peter's like, it is the Lord. And this is where it's really funny. Peter, in the boat, okay, grabs his outer cloak, okay, because <laughs> he's dressed for fishing. Apparently, that's not appropriate attire to see the Lord. So he puts his outer cloak on and then jumps in the water, okay? <laughs> I think he thought he was going to walk on water, right? He's like, it's the Lord. Jumps in, like, sinks, like, yeah, yeah, I deserve that, Jesus. I'm sorry. You know, like, so that's my bad. You know, so it swims his way, swims his way over to the shore, right? Like, eh, I, I, you know, who would have thought? Still trying to figure out where his relationship is. He swims with his outer tunic on, his cloak on. He's got everything at the weight, and he's swimming over. And then what's comical is the boat shows up at the same time at the sea. <laughs> hey, Peter, how's it going? You know, he's like, just getting there. And they all get out of the boat. And here comes a very familiar scene. There's Jesus, a charcoal fire. And he says, I want some breakfast. Well, the last spot that Peter got to engage with Jesus was around a fire where he was warming himself. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm hungry. You want some fish? And, John, and Peter's like, oh, I'll get it. And he jumps up and gets in the boat and grabs the fish out. And then I think he's like, do you want some salt? Do you, hey, you want something to drink? Like, I feel like he's literally at this point just trying to, to do what he can to see how he's sitting with Jesus. Again, this is my, my opinion. But I feel like he's, it's silly that he swims over <laughs> when the boat meets in there. It's kind of silly that he's the one that jumps back in when the other guys are like, excuse me, Peter, okay, here you go. Okay, you got it? Like, great. And that's super, super excited, but like not sure where he's sitting with Jesus. And so Peter sits down and has this meal, and I, I, like, I, again, this is me just reading into it, but I kind of feel like, you know, he's eating his fish, and he just kind of keeps looking at Jesus, and he's wrestling with that guilt. He's wrestling with that guilt, and we know he's struggling. We know that that's true, because we picked that up in the scripture here, but he's really wanting to know, like, Jesus, can I be on the team? I don't, I don't need to be in. You don't have to put me in. Just like, just put me on the bench. Like, just let me, let me, tell me that I'm, I'm on the team, that my failure, my curse doesn't come true. Can you just give me some kind of assurance, please? And that's where we pick up. Peter, in verse 15 of, of John 21. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, we know later in this text that Jesus and, and Peter are walking a little bit, and John, the apostle John's walking shortly behind them with an earshot. Finished breakfast, and Simon, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is literally saying, Peter, do you love me more than these people right here? See what, see what Jesus is doing? He's taking him back to the most painful spot of Peter's memory in this most recent thing. He's taking him all the way back. Do you love me more than these disciples? Because you claimed to have loved me more. You claimed that even though they would all fall away, that you would stand firm. So he says, do you love me more than these? And Peter says to them, 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, I don't think that's how it's said. I think that Peter says it this way. He says, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. And I think it's more of a he's wrestling with the, you know that I love you, but I can't shake what I've done. Like, I do love you. And I think this is going back to the idea in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says, look, pray, because the spirit is willing, the flesh is so, so weak. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, a lot of preachers, scholars have tried to use this as a, like different words of love being used here. I think that's just kind of not the point at all. There are different words of love used, but it's because it was, in the Greek, it was kind of working that way anyway. So I don't think it necessarily is that. But he asked him the second time. You see, picture this thing, charcoal fire, warm in your hands. Now a second time to, to, to pronounce your love. After the first time, he says it to him. Then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Then he says second time. And, and Peter's response is the exact same. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus says to him, well, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here it is, guys. Peter was grieved. It finally hit him. It broke down. It all came rushing in that moment, and Peter sees exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is taking him to the most painful spot the spot where, where Peter's carrying all sorts of shame and resentment of himself and, and guilt. Remember, this is the Peter who is super confident, you know, says before he thinks, like, says things before he thinks. Like, this is the Peter. He's, he's, he's recluse. He's timid at this point. He's, he's wrestling with his identity. And says he was grieved because he said it a third time. And then Peter says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know my failures. You know my struggles. You know how I denied you. You know everything about me. You know that in spite of how weak I am, I love you. And in that moment, he comes face to face with the Lord. And the grace and love of Jesus is so much more powerful that it casts a massive shadow, a cross-sized shadow on the shame and guilt that Peter feels. And it's like Jesus in this instance says, hey, Peter, Let's go ahead and acknowledge what you did. Because if we don't, I don't think you'll ever come out of it. I think you always wonder. Let's go ahead. Let's confess this. Let's get this sin out there. And then what does he do in that? He recommissions him. He says, as a great shepherd, you be a shepherd of my flock. You go. You feed my lambs. You tend to my sheep. You, you shepherd. See, all in an instant, Jesus confronts his sin and his shame and his guilt and recommissions him to do the divine purposes that God set in place. You can't face that and not be transformed. Essentially, Jesus is saying, look, Peter, that whole wrath that you called down on yourself, I took care of it. I got it all. Got every single last drop of it. I drank every single last drop for you. And he says that same promise to you and me today. He's like, stop. Stop with the guilt. Stop with the shame. Stop Stop carrying that stuff. Stop even worrying about if you're going to be on the bench. I feel like you're not going to be on the bench. Look, dude, your first sermon, 3,000 people are going to come to the Lord. Preachers afterwards are going to try that over and over again. It's never going to happen, right? Like they're going to be wishing they could pull a Peter moment. And then Jesus does something unique in this conversation. He goes in, he recommissions him, and he says, oh, hey, by the way, Peter, you're going to be crucified. He tells him like exactly how he's going to die. And I think what Jesus is telling him is, is look, the work I have for you isn't easy. 
The work I have for you isn't gonna be, isn't gonna be simple. In fact, it's gonna end in crucifixion. The very thing that you ran from me experiencing, you're gonna have to walk into. And we learn from, from history that Peter is crucified. Some scholars think he was crucified upside down because he didn't wanna be crucified like Jesus. There's no certainty to that at all, but he ends up getting crucified. And here's what's unique. We get our Peter back, right? We don't have the timid, like walking around trying to please Jesus, like here's the fish, here's the salt, like hey, is it warm enough? Do you need me to heat it up for you? Run in the microwave for you a second? Like you good? We don't have that Peter anymore. We get the normal Peter. Right after Jesus tells him that, hey, you're gonna be crucified, <laughs> Peter does what only Peter can do so best. Hey, what about John? All right, John's right here. Like, hey, what about this guy? What's gonna happen to him? Like, is he gonna die too? And Peter, Jesus is like, oh, Peter, Peter, don't worry about John. Like, don't worry about him. I got, I got work for you to do. Now, look, Peter is not perfect. In fact, God had to save Apostle Paul to correct Peter on some of his theology, okay? So, like, Peter messes up a lot after this. The point isn't that he is perfect. The point is that he understood what it meant to do, what you're meant to do when you sin or when you deny or you betray. There's two options. Option A, self-help. Read a bunch of self-help books. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Run away from community because it's scary and it's painful and they may say something that you don't like switch to another church. Like, that's our, that's our normal option A, right? One of them. Let's just do it on our own. Let's run from confrontation. Let's just run from the work of God, and let's just do it. I, in fact, I'll say it this way. I think Peter chose the harder way than Judas. Judas' way was selfish and ends in death, and it's not the right way at all, but Peter's way is harder because it is hard to confront your sins. It is hard to humble yourself enough to say, okay, God, work. Fix it. Said you'd rather keep these outer shells. Or option two, you can do what Peter did. He runs to community. He runs to the people he did. Say it this way. Judas ran to a religious system. Peter ran to a community of believers. And you can allow Jesus' holiness to confront our brokenness. You realize that when, you, when, when Jesus' holiness steps in place, it is confrontational. We are broken messes. And we're going to deny, we're going to betray. But Jesus says, ah, don't you worry about that. I paid for it. I took care of every single last drop of that so that you could do what I created you to do, and that is to live by my purposes, live for my purposes. And yeah, yeah, that may mean you get crucified. It's not an easy road. But either way, you're going to serve me faithfully. You know what's unique about this is, is there's a verse, Peter, 2 Peter 3, 17 18 says, you therefore, this is the last verse he pens in the second book, okay? As after the gospel's written, Peter writes this up. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, what is he knowing this beforehand? He's knowing of the fact that they are a holy priesthood. Knowing, knowing the fact that God's grace has covered them and that they cannot be lost. Knowing with confidence who they are in Christ. Knowing of this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's unique that Peter's the one that writes this because he forgot beforehand and he denied. He says, look, guys, don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Once you see Jesus face to face and realize that you're not only on the team, that you're still at his table, that you're still his child, that you're still loved, it's a game changer. It's being able to say, I've messed up and I can't take it back. But what I've done, I'm gonna humble myself and, and ask that the Lord take it back for me. I, 
I can't imagine the relief that Peter felt after that commission. He was grieved. But then you know what Jesus says at the end of that paragraph? He says two words to him. And they were the first two words Jesus ever said to Peter. Follow me. It's like you gave him the, the invitation all over again. Hey, buddy, don't worry about it. Let's go. Follow me. We all will deny Jesus by what is said or not said, done or not done. But nothing is more exhilarating to that person than knowing God's gracious forgiveness of the unfaithfulness after it is confessed. Like it is such a sweet taste. That's why he is risen is a good news story. That's why Good Friday is good is because in that we are experiencing a grace that we didn't deserve. We're experiencing a recommissioning that we don't have any right to do. We're experiencing hope in a way that's amazing. In fact, I wrote down this way, God does not bless human beings primarily to provide them with a status, but to carry out the divine purposes in the world. Mission is inseparably linked to the calling and blessing of God. So you've been commissioned college student, spouse, kid, worker, white collar, blue collar. You've been commissioned. God has called you. Say, look, it's time to go. And when you experience that kind of painful breaking moment, you can't help but walk with confidence and stand up and be like, it's you that killed Jesus, right? Like, no, come be, be baptized, right? Like it's just like this moment. It's like, whoa, what changed in him? This ridiculous confidence because he's confident not in that he's perfect, but he's confident in that God loves him in spite of his imperfections. That changes you guys. This is why we've been saying this whole time that when it comes to the cross, when it comes to resurrection, when it comes to this idea that there are present day implications to it, it's not some insurance policy that, whoo, when I die, I got heaven. No, Jesus has commissioned us today to be the light in this world to share the truth with those that need it, to be hope for a friend that feels hopeless, to share in the brokenness, to dive both feet into the brokenness and come out smelling like it, knowing that you are being put together by a king who has created you and knows what you look like and knows what you're to be. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna, we're gonna worship a little bit more and some music. I, I wanna say that some of you still feel like the wrong you've done is still on you. Some of you, when I, when I talk about the guilt or shame that maybe Peter feels and that Judas obviously felt prior to ending his life, right, you, you're still carrying it around. You, maybe you're feeling some, some shame from like guilt from like Treefort this last week. I made some bad decisions in that, right? Like you're like, oops, right? The point isn't that we can just keep going and making bad decisions. The point is, is that when you experience God's grace in that broken spot, you, you really do see true healing. I wrote it down this way. It's, it's, it's almost as though John is affirming the well-known concept that for a person to become right with God and gain a sense of release from the past sense of rebellion, that that person should face the reality of where the dev deviation or sin occurred. Once you, once you face the reality of, of your sin, once you face the reality of the darkness and what God did to pay for it, there's only two responses. There's no middle ground, guys. There's none of this like, ah, I like that idea and someday I'll fall at one foot in, one foot out. That isn't, that isn't how it works. That's right, God, I'm yours. Do with me as you wish. I don't like it at times. I'm gonna fight it. I'm gonna deny you. I'm gonna betray you probably too. But ultimately, I'm gonna continue to push into the relationships that God has around me. I'm gonna push in to my fellow believers and let us bear one another's burdens. And ultimately, I'm gonna look you face to face and face this.
And understand that when you look me in the face, when Jesus looks you in the face, he doesn't look at you with shame or guilt. He looks at you with love saying, I paid for that. Stop carrying it. It belongs on the cross. It's the reason why at Good Friday we gave out crosses and said, nail your sins to the cross and make something beautiful out of it because that's what the cross does. The cross changes everything. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead changes everything. And there should be present-day implications in our life. God is calling you, saying, look, I've, I've got you. Feed my sheep. Share my truth. Be salt. Be light. He has commissioned you in this world. Not just go to college or go to work or be married or have kids. He's saying, no, do those things, but bring me glory and share my truth and my hope. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for resurrection. Thank you for the truth of Peter's life. It is hard to believe at how easy it is for me to relate at times to Peter, God, and how easy it is for me to deny you in things that are unsaid or things that are said or done or not done, God. Um, I pray for, for the individual in the room right now that is carrying guilt. They recognize a sin, a wrong, and they don't know where they sit with you. God, would you use Peter as, as, as encouragement to them? Would you show that person that they don't need to run or hide in darkness or shame? In fact, that's the very thing you did is you brought light. And where there's light, darkness cannot be present, God. And so I pray for that person carrying that guilt or that shame that they would, they would face it. They would allow you to take them to the most painful spot possible, as hard as it's going to be, knowing that it's in that spot you're going to change it and redeem and restore in a beautiful way. God, for the individual in the room right now, I just feel compelled to ask, God, if there's someone that's just been on the fence pretending to follow you, never really surrendered their life, and they're out of, out of fear or anxiety or pride or anxiousness, or whatever it may be, God, they're, they're using excuses to not follow you when they know full well and true that you are the Son of God, that you are truly King, that you are Messiah. Romans 10.9 tells us that we confess with our mouth that you are true, that you are the Son of God. Acknowledge with our hearts that you are true and that you are Lord and Savior and believe in you, that you would, you would make us whole. And so my prayer, God, is that there's individuals in here that don't believe that, God, that you would, um, you would compel them, that your spirit would open their hearts, and they would not know and be able to explain what happened, but know full well and true that you have faced them and their sins and their darkness, and you're redeeming them. You're making them a new creation. Father, for, for those of us in the room that have been following you for a long time, and maybe just, uh, we're just kind of going through the motions. I, I can't help but think, we need, we need to remember Peter and his confrontation with you. How confident he was that he wouldn't fail you. He, I mean, he's arguing with the Messiah. How ridiculous is that? But yeah, we do that too, God. So for those of us in the room that have been following you for a long time and we're, we're wrestling with what it means to be commissioned by you, we're wrestling with what it means to follow you, and you're, you're asking us to give up addictions or, or things or stuff or money or, or status, and you're, you're, you're calling us to lay these things down. God, I pray that you would just break in. You would humble each of us to follow you in a more wholehearted way. God, we, we love you because you first loved us. And there is no doubt in my mind just how much you love me, God. And for that, I am so, so thankful. And I pray that each of us would live out of that love. I pray, God, that we would boldly approach you, knowing that we can not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Pray that we'd step in boldly, faithfully, and understand that we can only do that because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he did not stay dead. Praise God for that. It's in the risen, the resurrected Jesus Christ's name we pray.
be alive today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.